Welcome to the Rugby Leader and Podcast. Hello, welcome to episode 12 of the ever-growing, the ever-more popular Rugby League Europe podcast. My name's Lee Addison, and I've got a Salford accent, in case you didn't pick it up, and so has my partner in crime, Carlo Napolitano. Carlo, can you, we might be emphasising the Salfordness in this podcast at the start today. Well, it's been 50 years, Lee, but we have got to Wembley once again. It's always been on the cards and always cruelly denied, but we did it. We did it. And a Salford man at the helm as well. And, um, of course, Carlo and myself are referring to the Salford Red Devils, who played in the Challenge Cup semi-final overnight from when we are doing this podcast. Um, But we'll talk a little bit more about that later. If you want to get in touch with us at the RLE podcast on Twitter, at the RLE podcast on Instagram and the Rugby League Europe podcast on Facebook. Um, First bit of news, Carlo, and we'll talk about this a little bit later on. The Euro 13 has been postponed a little bit later. We'll have Stuart Hood, the president of the Jaguars Rugby League and Academy Director, and Connor Kelly, the head of Dublin Blues Rugby League. We'll have them on. But uh, your first reaction when you heard that news that we uh, hinted at last week? I just think it's a sign of the times, isn't it, Lee? Um, you know, there's no, the number of competitions on a global scale, really. You know, uh, Olympics, Euros, uh, in the soccer. You know, all of them have been postponed because of because of COVID. And mm. I think, uh, unfortunately, the the operators of the Euro 13s have tried the hardest to to try and compensate or try and make a late call just in case a vaccine's found early, but. I think it was just a matter of time, um, and unfortunately, it's been pushed out. Well, like I say, we'll talk a little bit more with Stuart and Connor a little bit later. In other news, uh, the Griffin Cup was played between Holland and Germany. Who would have thunk it, mate, that the um, only international in Europe and possibly in the world, the only international test match would have been Holland and Germany? I know. Go figure, mate. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> Holland secured a third straight victory over their German neighbours in a game played in heavy rain. The game ended 2018 with tries to wow. Holland by Longhurst, Farrell and Schoenmaker, whilst Germany tries were from Seidler and Hampson, who scored two goals with a difference, and Holland's gout got four from four. Um, and I can't resist this, mate. Obviously, he had no gout in his foot if he got four from four. Um, <laughs> uh, Germany actually seemed to share kicking duties looking at the official scorecard. Uh, and they shared them between Billsborough, Esser and Doughton, who I assume is related to another Salford lad, Bob Doughton, yeah, who, who all kicked one each. And I just wonder why they did that. And I wonder if that was what cost them the game, just sharing the goal kicking. Well, maybe, but it but it does sound like an absolute cracker, though, doesn't it? Mm. Twenty eighteen and uh, in heavy rain, uh, we know that conditions can play a major part. But it seems like it was a cracker. Talking of heavy rain, mate, there was uh, the well, I, I keep referring to it Super League, but it's the English Rugby League Challenge Cup semi final, and they were played in atrocious conditions this weekend. Salford and Leeds won through against Warrington and Wigan, uh, respectively. What I want to start a conversation about, Carlo, and I think you and I have slightly different opinions on this, and I don't want to take away anything from uh, Salford or Leeds and their coaches, Richard Agar, Ian Watson, 
for what they've achieved. But I couldn't help but think, having watched the Australian semi-finals a couple of hours before those games, that the drop in standard was very significant and as big a drop as I've seen almost in the last two decades. Your thoughts on that? I think, uh, you know, when you when you said that, I was thinking straight away, you, you've got different hemispheres of the world and different seasons as well in regards to, um, you know, it, it was it was quite warm over here for, for the NRL uh, semifinals. And then you've got the uh, Challenge Cup semifinals, which was in blistering rain and howling winds. So again, two different game plans. One's going to be more open and one's going to be more conservative. And I think if you like, you've watched them after each other, I think you could be in a false sense uh, to think that, you know, obviously there's a massive, massive divide. I don't think it's that great. I think um, I think the, the English Super League is, is going really, really well. Uh, but again, it's, it's it's only as good. It's only as good as the the development conveyor belt of, of as we've got. So I think you know everyone always says, "Oh, the English Super League's five years behind uh, the NRL." I don't think it's that much. I think it's about two years behind. Uh, obviously, the NRL is the highest standard of rugby league in the world. Uh, but yeah, um, t- two different two different outlooks on uh, the games over different mm. hemispheres. Lee, what was your thoughts? Oh, I, I, I think you know I'm going to have to agree to disagree with you, mate. I think the English game's ten years behind. I think the levels of athleticism, the the line speed in defence, their lack of uh, clinical nature when in good ball and that kind of thing, the decision-making under pressure, all that kind of thing. I see, you know, I've not just made a, a, a big decision based on one night of football. I was at, watched the semifinals last year in person. I've, you know, kept an eye on Super League over the years as long as I've been living in Australia. We can't take away from the fact of a few things. Number one, a lot of the players have been in lockdown for a lot longer than they were in Australia in the NRL. The lockdown period in Australia lasted about six weeks, I think, and it certainly paid for a team like Brisbane, didn't it? It took them from two from two to the wooden spoon. Um, I do think a few Super League players, particularly in the Wigan side, um, and one or two players in the other sides, they looked to me like they'd had too much of a good time during lockdown. They look heavier than their Australian counterparts. They look less athletic. They look to be less pace. And, and the other thing that concerns me, Carlo, is that the rules around the Rook in Super League allow for a faster game. And I do totally get what you say about the heavy track, but we do get heavy tracks in Australia occasionally too. Um, I think the other thing that we can't take away from is there's a few English people who play in Australia. Yeah. Probably more than there has been, you know, the last couple of years, there's probably more English people playing in the NRL than there has been in the whole history of the NRL. Because back in the old days, they used to come over here in the English summer, which was the Australian winter, right. so it never collided. Short seasons. Yeah. yeah just Whereas seasons. now, if an English player wants to come and play in Australia, he has to sacrifice his English contract. So that's yeah, the difference. And it's actually depreciating the, the, the English Super League competition a little bit. There's another story that emerged this week, though, that I want to have a bigger conversation about, Carlo. It was reported by Fox News in Australia on the 3rd of October, and they were actually quoting TotalRL.com's Matthew Shaw, 
that a Scotland international and Hull KR player, Ryan Brayley, earns £14,000. £14,000. That was... I earned that my second year out of university at age 22. Um, When you consider that he's a Super League player and an international, when you consider that the game paid recently £300,000 for a payoff for Nigel Wood, the former RFL CEO... We hinted last week that Ralph Rimmer's wage was around about the 250 to 500 mark. We believe it's the quarter of a million mark. And the salary for the general manager of the RLEF is purported to be in the region of £80,000 or euros. Have we got the business model all wrong? Can professional rugby league in England sustain 12 full-time teams? Because... You know and I know players who are good enough to play in Super League, but they actually opted to play in the Championship. Because they can make more money. Because they can make more money. So is the model right? Well, um, again, I think we've talked about this, about the game moving forward at a a rate of four... Uh, well, I should say a snail's pace mm-hmm. because, um, again, the, the, the amount of games that were on Sky Sports and where we are today, we've co- we've covered that. But I think, you know, in this day and age, a player, a full-time contract earn, earning 14000 is diabolical. Mm. And, and I think it I think it just goes in, t- in line with the, uh, the sponsorship or the marketing of the Super League at the moment. I think the, the Papa John's, even the players are jumping up. Mm, Sam Tompkins tweet last so, week. You know, so it was. It's beyond a joke. And the fact the fact is that we're we're not generating enough money through the coffers uh, to not only pay for. And, and again, there's some good new. There's some good articles, or should I say, good tweets about saying, "Listen, 250k for a, a chief executive. That's fine, but they need to be a good chief executive." Which I totally agree. Well, you you, know, you said you, as... you said there's not enough money in the coffers. Well, there's enough to pay Ralph Rimmer 250k. And there's enough to pay Nigel Wood 300k. I mean, yeah, but there's not enough then to, to be shared over the, the 12 teams in the Super League. Mm. Obviously, or Ryan, Ryan Brearley is not going to be on 12,000, uh, sorry, 12,000 pound. Is it sorry, is it 14, 14,000? 14, yeah. Which is is diabolical. It's 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 just it's just wrong. But uh, I'd like to see what the players' association's done about that. Bear in mind and link the conversations. I'm saying the standard of English rugby league is suffering at the minute. Um, well, can we take a guess how many players are of Super League standard playing in the Championship or lost to the game completely? How many players who played for the England under-18s team against the Australian schoolboys team, how many players don't go on to play in Super League? Whereas the Australian uh, junior kangaroos, the schoolboys side, they produce... NRL players left, right and centre, about 10 out of the 17. I mean, there's something wrong with the system. And there's got there's obviously a financial impact too. I'm just looking at Ryan Brearley's record over the years too. The the bloke's 28 years of age. He's played 26 times for Huddersfield Giants. Before that, he played 125 times for Lee Centurions. Now I might be right in thinking that some of those games were in Super League. 26 times for yeah, Huddersfield. Yeah. 
He's played for the Toronto Wolfpack and he's brought helped brought, bring them up the divisions. And then this year he's played nine games so far for Hull KR. So we're talking about a steady, steady first-grade footballer. We're talking about a 208-game player who scored 186 tries and 131 goals, according to the article I'm looking at now online on Wikipedia. And he's played five times for Scotland. I mean... This model, you know, as a business model, it does not sound right, does it? No, but again, you know, what's the what's the CBA? What's the collective bargaining agreement by the the players' association? You know, because they they shouldn't be allowing that to go on. And here we are, you know, there's a number of things that are going on that are quite bad, mate. Like how do how do Toronto just pull out for a year and then you know more than likely they're just gonna get walled straight back in. Yeah, there's a lot of questions there. Papa John deal, sponsorship, you know, development clubs falling up, falling apart. You know, it's it's, you know, and now and now we've got to deal with the ramifications after COVID nineteen. You know, how are some of these championship and division one clubs going to survive? There is so many questions there in regards to uh, how do how do we move on? What's the direction? What is the what is the game plan? What's the blueprint? Mm. And again, you know, we're not even talking about our European nations, you know, about the, the small amount of funding that the European Federation get. And, and no doubt that the European Federation is funded via the, the RFL. So, I, I, again, if, if there's not a lot enough money going around in the Super League, well, there's, there's not, well, there's going to be no money left for the European Federation. Do you fear for the future of the sport in Britain and in Europe? I've said it. I've, I've said it a number of times on the on this podcast. Yeah, I do. I remember going back in two sixteen um, and seeing clubs and clubhouses that used to be full and bustling with you know six or seven junior teams are struggling to get one. You know that's not that, and, and I'm, I'm I'm not making that up. That that's actually happening. You know, clubs folding is just beyond recognition of where we used to be as a sport and where we are right now and if anyone says it's acceptable or it's a sign of the times or you know people playing uh games that's bullshit because there's a lot of kids now still (laughs) there's a lot of kids now playing still playing soccer in fact the kids that we've lost from rugby league are now playing soccer. what do you blame i mean you've been on this earth a similar amount of time as me and you've been immersed in rugby league from the womb like me what where do you put the blame what's what's happened what should have happened differently? Yeah, it's, poor, it's, poor, it's poor governance, Lee. You know, when I remember, I remember when I was a kid, there's a couple of factors that that why I turned to rugby league. One of them was seeing the almighty Stephen Gibson mm. coming into our mm. school. I remember that doing yeah. doing sessions, yeah. Yeah. right? You know, here is a monster of a man, and he's in front of us, and we can touch him, and we can have a laugh with him, and steal um, his tie you know, straight away. Yeah, and and then he's in your school, and then you're getting free tickets, and you're going. Well, you're already you're already doing that kind of cluster program. That kind of cluster program has gone away. And and to be honest, as well, even in Australia, when I was working for the Queensland Rugby League, a lot of those programs that we were we were doing at club level to link in with local schools have have are gone. Yeah, they're gone. They're just disappeared. I'll give you another example of the planning and lack of planning thereof. Um... In rugby league, this last week, Wigan and Saint Helens had a fixture on Tuesday, and basically Wigan rested a load of players, virtually a whole team, because they had a Challenge Cup semi-final this weekend. 
Yeah. As long as you and I have been on Earth, Wigan or St. Helens have been in a Challenge Cup semi-final, haven't they? Yeah. <laughs> like, who on Earth yeah. looked at the fixture calendar and thought, I know, we will put Wigan versus St. Helens a matter of days before the semi-final of the Challenge Cup. Like, honestly, where is the brains in the organisation? And I know there's no crowds. I know there's no crowds, but I'll tell you what there are. There are eyeballs on TV screens. And the minute that St. Helens knew and their fans knew that Wigan weren't putting a full-strength side out, some of them wouldn't have even bothered turning the TV on or going to the, the streaming services or whatever it may be. I mean, honestly, what do our administrators think about sometimes? Well, again, they're trying to ram all the fixtures in. I don't, I don't understand why they're trying to ram all the fixtures in, but they are in close succession. You know, rugby league is not like soccer. You know, you, we're talking about full body contact mm. here. You know, three days to recover is just not enough. You need a minimum, a minimum of four. And therefore, in that four days, it's, as you know, Lee, it's very difficult to have a decent training and, session. And why put one of your your highest grossing fixtures three, four days before a Challenge Cup semi-final? Why? It just does not make sense. Whoever's put that together... No. Obviously doesn't doesn't know what they're doing. That's how bad it is. Like honestly, I know it's a little bit of being wise after the event, but honestly, in our forty odd years on this earth, mate, Wigan or Saint Helens would have been in ninety five percent of Challenge Cup semi finals. Honestly, it's ridiculous. Anyway, before we get too uh, <laughs> too hyped up, let's go to our interview panel. We're having a bit of a roundtable today. So, Carlo, the big news coming out of the Rugby League world this week, as far as we're concerned, being the host of the Rugby League Europe podcast, is the postponement, not the cancellation, the postponement of the Euro 13s tournament. Statement came out, in light of the continued disruption that COVID-19 is causing through the world, the organisers of Euro 13s met with the participating clubs to discuss a range of subjects relating to the 2021 format. A representative from each club was invited to vote on postponing the tournament to either September 2021 or February 2022. The clubs voted unanimously to postpone the tournament until February 2022. Additionally, the 16 clubs were invited to vote on an amendment to the tournament that would mean the knockout cup competition being replaced by a group stage with four teams in each group. Again, clubs voted unanimously to the amendment that guarantees each team a minimum of three games rather than the original one, the draw for which will take place on the 16th of October 2020. Clubs were also invited to vote on a range of issues relating to marquee signings. The majority voted in favour of marquee signings, but following a request by Chisinau Scorpions, clubs also voted by majority to have this reduced from two to one to safeguard the spirit of the tournament. While it is disappointing that the current pandemic is forcing a delay, both the organisers and clubs continue to look forward to this exciting tournament that promises to develop Rugby League throughout Europe. So, Rugby League Europe podcast listeners, to ensure that this is not propaganda, to check the veracity of that statement from the Euro 13s camp, 
we have on the line Stuart Hood, the president of Jaguars Rugby League Club and Academy Director all the way from rainy England, and Connor Kelly, head of Dublin Blues Rugby League, all the way from probably slightly warmer and less rainy Ireland. Gentlemen, how are you? Fine, thank you. Good. Connor, yourself? Very good. Yeah. Yes. Very good. Uh, it's not quite warm. It's quite rainy here at the moment, to be honest. <laughs> Stop complaining, you two. Me and Carlo are too hot. Now, um, first question, I'm going to go to Stuart and then to Connor. That statement I've just read out, is all hunky-dory in the Euro 13s world or is this going to be another uh, flash in the pan that doesn't happen? Stuart, over to you. It's not going to be a flash in the pan. I think some people have liked it to be, but it's not going to be. Uh, I think the most refreshing part of the whole decision was that all 16 clubs, you know, from and uh, Anadolu right down to uh, Mad Squirrels, we all had a voice in this. We all had our reason for voting this way. And we think it's the most sensible thing to do. I mean, at the end of the day, we've got 16 clubs from 16 different countries. And each country is having its own policies with regards to coronavirus. Even within countries such as mm. the UK, mm -hmm. it's all different. So, you know, it, it's the logical decision. But as I say, the most refreshing thing was it's democratic. We all had our say. Connor, does that sound right to you or Stuart talking out of his yeah. mind? <laughs> no, that's absolutely bang on. We, we, we all had, had a meeting. We were all there. Every, everyone was, was united in the fact that this needs to be postponed, that it wasn't. If if we shoehorned it into February and March, it wouldn't have been a you know a successful tournament for for any of us because of the what's going on globally, but also as Stuart mentioned in Europe, the fact that every country has different policies and different different rules and regulations mm -hmm. around mm -hmm. COVID nineteen. So it may it would have made it an absolute nightmare to try and manage, and you know it, it made complete sense, and everyone was, was happy, and everyone went in the same direction on this. So cool. so that, that's that's very refreshing from. From a, a club point of view, that everyone in the tournament is thinking the same way. Good. Um, boys, I, I just want to ask you about the how does that change preparation? Obviously, you know now we've kind of pushed it a year on. Uh, Stuart, we'll, we'll start with you. How, how does that change your preparation for such a tournament? Well, the first thing is uh, obviously gives you a lot more time. Uh, we're going to have to change things. I mean. Our lads have been training uh, and getting ready to kick off in February, but obviously that's now going to change. Uh, I think especially for... There's all different types of clubs in this tournament. Some are, big, some are bigger and some are smaller. And I think it levels the playing field. We've got, everybody has the same opportunity because we've now got a longer period to, pre to prepare for it. Uh, I think financially... It's going to give, especially some of the smaller clubs, a greater opportunity to, to race owners. But the big thing is, obviously, the change in how the tournament's going to be run, how it's going to be formatted, which gives everybody a greater opportunity to get the most out of this and make this a success. Mm, yeah, definitely. Connor, what's your, what's your thoughts on it, mate? Well, obviously, it's a completely different approach because we were looking at a tournament in, in a few months. So getting the squad together quite quickly, um, that would compete. You know, getting the sponsors in and all that, it, it, it takes the pressure off a little bit in that sense. But also means that maybe some of the players we've spoken to about playing in, in February, March, we don't know if they'll be necessarily available come 2022. 
because obviously we don't know what happened in that year. You know, injuries, changes in circumstances. So it, it, it just it means we have to completely change how we're planning it, when when we're planning it, our time scale, our timelines. That all needs to change. But it does give us – that brings opportunities as well. You know, as Stuart mentioned, with extra time to get sponsorship in, extra time to get all the, all the, the playing squad the way we wanted. You know, and, and it might give us more time to get some more friendlies in, which we would have we would have struggled to be honest to get too many in, given the the way the way it failed. Because obviously you're you're not going to play many around Christmas with the type of squad that we have an amateur team, and then you're you're looking at getting straight into training in January. You know, so mm. so we might yeah. get a bit more opportunity to play more games. I was going to say that I think I think with obviously you've got different countries playing but some that are in a low lower reach than others there's potential there to have a few little warm-up games if possible uh, so it might open up that opportunity there you're listening to connor kelly the head of the dublin blues rugby league and stuart hood the president of jaguars rugby league and academy director talking to us on the rugby league europe podcast we're going well boys so we're going to ask you a few more questions if that's okay stuart first to you the three games as opposed to the potentially only one game how that sits with your you and your club and the marquee player rule where did you sit on that before the meeting where do you sit on that post meeting how do you think that'll shape the tournament and how do you think it'll shape the rugby league dynamic in europe um, if i start off on the marquee players um we believe that you know, it's a good thing to have marquee players in there. I know it can vary between different clubs who they can attract. Uh, but the point is, our attitude towards it, towards it was that if we have marquee players in, especially if they're, if they're well-known people, it attracts spectators, it attracts sponsorship. It's just good for the tournaments all the way around. Uh, arbitrary for, uh, we voted that there should be two. She's now once it won and they made a very strong case and, and they won that case and we're quite happy. Why did you want to? Why did you want to, Stuart, if you I don't mind me interrupting? That was the limit that was set initially, but I just thought if some clubs could, could get to, and we, we probably weren't going to be one of those. Uh, you were or you weren't? weren't. Negative or positive? Uh, yeah. I, weren't. I just think the more we can highlight what the tournament's about and names do do that uh i think it just brings added value taking it forwards i'm not saying it should stay there all the while but we all voted now uh to go with one and that that was democratic and that's the way we go with it now with regard carlo's available <laughs> carlo's available he's still playing he's still playing soccer he's available I can do a stint in the front row for you boys for at least <laughs> oh, three four and a half. minutes. Three, I've seen you. Um, but, uh, um, sorry, Dublin. Go back to the, um, sorry. the second part with regards to the um, change of the format to a group. I think that's much better because obviously mm. instead of it just being a knockout where some clubs are only going to get one game, everybody's going to get through. Yeah, and I think that's very important for, for them to learn to play the game. And secondly, for finances, because they're going to have more money coming into the club because they've got three games. And be more more uh, appealing to sponsors as well. Exactly. Um, over to you, Connor. I mean, if you can remember the question, <laughs> it was about the new format and it was about the 
uh, marquee player scenario. Me and Carlo are available. Just repeating <laughs> that. We are available. That, that's now what I'll pass that on to our just coach. Contact so. the Rugby League Europe. <laughs> um, so on, on the marquee player one, you know, I was, a fa- I was a fan of the two marquee players. I'm still a fan of one. I think, as Stuart said, if we can get big names into the tournament or names that people know, it will add prestige to the tournament and it, it'll, it should hopefully draw people in. You know, that's it. So. Lee Addison, <laughs> I'm sure there, there was a bigger name mentioned. Mate, I think. Carlo, Carlo, there'd be a few people who want to knock the band in your heads off, I reckon. I don't know if you it's know, a I reckon, I reckon I could still play. I, like, I've been playing three games of soccer a week currently. Uh, mate, I'm, I'm feeling mm. the fittest I've felt in a long time. I just don't think I'll be able to take the contact, I don't think. I've been playing three <laughs> games of chess a week. Do you reckon that'll be over the last... <laughs> Yeah, that's more than I've been doing. Sorry, Connor, we interrupted you. We interrupted you pushing, pushing our um, barrel to get a, a, a Guernsey there. Sorry, mate, we interrupted you. Yeah, uh, yeah so I think, obviously, like, like Stuart said, it adds a bit of prestige, adds some uh, commercial aspect to it, because if you've got big-name players who come in and play, or even, you know, just players that people know, that'll help get people into the stand. You know, and, and that's that's what we want to do to help help all the clubs. Um, yeah. In terms of the format, it's it's a much much better format, much better format than than the knockout because again, it's it's easier to attract sponsors, it's easier to, to market. You know, I've done a lot of marketing of, of international rugby league with Ireland over the years, and when you get one game a year, it's impossible to market. It's impossible. Like, yeah. There's no, you know, you're just pushing a one-off event when you potentially could have two home games or mm. even three home games depending on how it falls or how you know who you get drawn in the, in the pool with. You know, it's a lot easier to push that to, to spectators, yeah. to sponsors, yeah. to all that sort of things. Yeah. So, I think I think the delay has been positive for a number of reasons. You know, for the fact that we all the clubs got to get together and have a vote, massively positive that everyone had, you know, has a voice in this, and also, you know, it gives us a better format tournament now. You know, it'll, it'll run. I understand it'll run the same length of time. But we'll get more games, which is better, more opportunities for all players, which is which is only good for a development tournament. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think this format also provides a good foundation for us to move on to the, to when Euro 13 becomes a league. This gives us a good foundation to move on from that. Has that been discussed? Well, that's 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 what we're all looking at. Uh, Okay. Uh, you know, that's what we'd like to see happen. Mm-hmm. You might have broken some news there. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's a natural, that's a natural progression, the, that, isn't it, Stuart? Like, I think, um, you know, you, the, the one game that you had, that, that was one of my probably reluctant parts of it, is that you could have do all this training, do so much good work, and you could only have one game, and it's done and dusted. And I, you know, I felt I felt it was a little a little appeased by that. But now with these three games, there's a little bit more continuity in it, and I think there's more there's more platform. You know, you're gonna you know by game three, you're gonna you're gonna have you're gonna have a good idea of what works and what doesn't work. And plus, you know, you're gonna create a following. So you know, I think I think it's all, the natural progression is going into that league status um, over over a possible two or three years. Yeah. Carlo, you had a question about the draft, didn't you? Well, yeah, well, no. The, the only question I had about the draft was uh, how how 
is the mar- with the marquee, is it still the same draft system or has that been changed? And I and I'll put no, that one. To, I'll put I'll put that one over to to you, Connor, because um, I, I just want to get your take on it because I think it'll be yeah. interesting. Yeah, no, well, it's it's still the same system. Um, obviously, the reduction to one one marquee player probably makes the draft system a bit better because potentially, I know it's it's hypothetical, but if you had two marquee signings and five draft picks, some of the teams would have seven potentially considered marquee-level players, which changes the, the dynamic of the concept. Reality, probably not going to happen that, that way, but just reducing that by one maybe makes it a little bit better from the marquee point of view, and that was the argument, one of the arguments that was put forward. The marquee system will say, still say the same. So, right. uh, Sorry, not the marquee system, the draft system. So, you know, and again, we have more time to organise that because, let's face it, if we were trying to... if the guys at your tortillas are trying to put together a draft for us to pick players between now and it was going to be December. In the current climate, wasn't was never yeah. going to happen. Never going. Yeah. We were never going to get the caliber of players that that the clubs wanted. You know, to make yeah. these draft players help them improve the team. You know, because it's going to be shoehorned in. Stuart. How do you define a marquee player? Have you gone into that nitty gritty yet as a Euro 13? We've talked about it and around it. Uh, there was some uh, variance of what we what we discussed that was a marquee player. Some clubs said, for example, in the UK, that League One players could be marquee, which we which we said no, and a lot of other players did said. So basically, so basically mm. we're looking in reality uh, if they're NRL. If they're Super League, etc., players, uh, because obviously you could have an ex NRL or ex Super League player who hasn't played for a couple of years, you can't really call them marquee players, even though they've got a big name. So it, it is a grey area. I mean, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Especially, um, especially, especially if you've got the draft system where, let's say, you hold it in Brisbane and you get lots of cup level players. Exactly. Um, Boys, Stuart and Connor, please stay on the line. Myself and Carlo are going to talk like you're not here, right? So if Carlo slags you off, just put your fingers in your ears. Um, Please stay on the line. I've got one more job for you before you go. Um, Carlo, uh, you know, you and I often critique what we hear. Um, You've heard the statement. You've heard... The two boys, that's two of 16, isn't it? So um, what's your thoughts? Where, where do you think this Euro 13s is going? What's your gut I, instinct? I still think it's amazingly refreshing uh, in this day and age. I understand why they postponed it and, and I get it. And I think it's the right decision to do. I think, again, the, the thing that really perked my attention was the draft system, the marquee system. And I think speaking, letting the boys talk about it, I think that's still yet to be written around the mat, especially around the marquee, the draft. Um, yeah, we kind of know there was a camp in Brisbane. There's going to be a camp in England and, and so forth. And we're going to generate the drafts, the draft picks. But I, I still think it's a little bit grey on the marquee. So, I, I, again, Stuart made a really good point there. You know, if they're playing Queensland Cup or Championship, are they classed as a draft player or are they classed as a marquee? Because 
some like like we just discussed in in the piece before there is some good players who are super league level who are playing championship and league 1 because yeah. they can earn more money from it mm. so it's, it's mm. you know that that part and again we're going to make i think the the, the people who organize euro 13s are going to make mistakes around small areas of it you, we can't we haven't got a crystal ball and we're just going to have to, you know, suck it and see. But I, I still think it's unbelievably refreshing. And I'm I, I'm a bit gutted that it's not obviously going to be next year now. But um, I can understand why. Only because you wanted a trip away. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, we're going to have to wrap up pretty soon. I just want to give you both the opportunity to talk about what's been happening in your country. So, Stuart, I'll go to you first. There's going to be some pilot fixtures in the next month or two, pilot game. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I'll put the other hat on now because obviously that doesn't involve Birmingham, but that involves uh, Worcester Jaguars, part of the Jaguars family. Um, there will be some pilot games organised by the RFL. Uh, these are designed to make sure that the systems that are being used for those games can be used uh, in 2021 to make sure that all the community club uh, games, matches uh, open up. Uh, we're looking at playing uh, a minimum of two, possibly four pilot matches. Uh, we're ready for that. A lot of clubs weren't and they fell out. Uh, so I think mm. in our region, there's only two of us left. So we'll probably be looking at other outside teams that will come and play us. Uh, Connor, how did your domestic season go? Um, it went, which was a positive because I wouldn't say it didn't look like we'd have one at all. <laughs> Um, because of when, when our season runs and the challenges around that. Um, so, look, every team got two or three games. Um, there were challenges in that one. The team was, they did a regionalised lockdown after week one. So that team wasn't able to play. So we had we had a team be forced out after after the first week, which obviously doesn't help when you've, when you've got a truncated season anyway. You know, but we got through the season. You know, every team got three or four games, which was... Which, which I think we can only define as a success, given other countries haven't had any rugby league whatsoever or any sport whatsoever. Um, yeah. There was a point when we were the only sport that was taking place. So, yeah. you know, real positive from that point of view. Obviously, we'd love to get a full... would have loved to get a full, full season in, but that was completely out of everyone's hands. So there's nothing, mm. you know, no one can be blamed for that. <laughs> you know, it's... We had to, to follow the restrictions that were in place and did you have any, did you have any COVID outbreaks amongst anybody in the competition? No, nope, none. Or was it just yeah? Okay, no, no confirmed cases um, amongst anyone in the okay. competition. So all the protocols that were put in place have worked, and they have been working in general in sport over here. And um, so I'm involved in a couple of other sports, and there haven't been a. You've, you've heard it first. You've heard it first. Guinness is a great. <laughs> Vaccine for uh, coronavirus. Guinness is a great vaccine for coronavirus. <laughs> and Dr. And, and Kelly of Dublin Blues. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, it's been a positive that we got a season. Um, you know, the, the, the teams who put their hands forward all got game time. Uh, we saw an increase, you know, the Dublin CXOs who we're partnered in with, they saw an increase in players wanting to play this year, which don't challenge in that you know they only had three or four games and they had 40 players that wanted to play so you know that yeah. don't challenges but again the fact that we got games going the fact that people got onto a pitch um 
is the main positive there, you know. Excellent. You've been listening to episode 12 of the Rugby League Europe podcast. You can contact us on at the RLE podcast on Twitter, at the RLE podcast Instagram and the Rugby League Europe podcast Facebook. Just quickly, how can people get older people at your club, Stuart? Uh, they go to our website, which is uh, Birmingham, B-H-A-M, Jaguars.com. And obviously we've got our Facebook, etc., which is all the same. Connor, how do people get hold of your club? Yeah, just uh, visit our website, DublinRL.com. Also, Dublin Blues RL on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Um, if they want to jump, jump on on social media. Cool. I'm just going to give you one last job, boys. Carlo normally says some... Italian before we finish I'm going to we will always end with Carlo saying goodbye in Italian but a little challenge for you I'm going to say goodbye in Salfordian um, uh, Stuart you're going to say it from where you're from which you explained earlier which is an amalgamation of about 14 different places from what you told me and then Connor you're going to say goodbye in your native tongue and then Carlo's going to finish so latest boys Slow. Stuart. Slow. 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 Oh, no. Ci vediamo dopo, ragazzi. Ciao, ciao. See you, everyone. Thanks, boys. See you, there. Thanks,